0: men, if you'll find in your Bibles, Luke chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 20. Luke 17, starting in verse 20. And we'll remain standing as God's word is read. Hear then God's holy word. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came. And destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to, he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Oh God, would you bless and add your understanding by your spirit to the preaching of your holy word? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This is how the world ends. This is how the world ends. This is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. You might be familiar with those closing lines to T.S. Eliot's famous poem, the, the Hollow Men. They're striking words, sort of picturing what if the end wasn't a big event, but like a whimper, sort of the last breath going out from the universe. It's a striking image, but it's quite, it's quite wrong. What does Jesus tell us here? it's not going to end in a whimper. It's not going to fade out. Uh, uh, The expanding universe isn't going to stretch out until all the molecules are so far apart that things just simply cease to exist. No, the king is going to come back. And though he came as a humble servant, when he comes back, he will not be so. He will come back as a conquering king. He will come back in such a way that everyone will see, whether they like it or not, they will see this king and acknowledge his power and might, either to their great joy because they're his king or to their great eternal sorrow because they've rejected him. This is the kingdom that Jesus speaks of in our passage. How then shall we live? That's the question I want to ask this morning. The title is simply, Thy Kingdom Come, which is what we pray and did pray this morning. How are we supposed to live knowing that Jesus is coming back in such a way as this? We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at, number one, that the kingdom is here. Number two, that the king is coming. And number three, how then shall we live? No turning back. No turning back. Number one, the kingdom is here. Uh, the kingdom is here. To, to remind us where we are in the Gospel of Luke, you might have noticed that we skipped over verses 11 through 19. Uh, that's because, believe it or not, uh, we preached on that uh, in 2020 uh, around Thanksgiving time. Uh, so you can certainly dig that up. Um, no promises as to the quality of that sermon from that many years ago. But uh, there, if you look at verse 11, it's good for us to remember, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Remember that this whole time, uh, ever since uh, about chapter 9, uh, 9 verse 51, Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, He set his face to go. Uh, This is his purpose, is to go to the cross for his people to die and to rise again. So his, his face is set, and more and more he is speaking more and more frankly about his kingdom and about his kingship and about salvation that comes through him, and people are either loving him for it and seeing it or hating him for it. And so the Pharisees, whom we've been dealing with much in the last few chapters, uh, you see Jesus at times warning, at times uh, rebuking, at at times entreating them. Would you see, would you just see the kingdom that is right in front of you and the king that is right in front of you? And time and time again, they keep rejecting him. And that brings us to this moment here where the Pharisees ask, when will the kingdom come? When is the kingdom going to come? The Pharisees rightly had an expectation that a Davidic king of the line of David would come and would restore his people. Uh, they knew their Old Testament, as we've said, probably better than we know our Old Testaments at times, and, and they saw there that there would be a Messiah, a king, who would come. And here, perhaps mockingly, we don't know the tone, but knowing these Pharisees, perhaps they're saying, you know, Jesus, you speak of this kingdom, so when's it going to come? When's it going to come, Jesus? And Jesus speaks to them and says, the kingdom's not coming in ways that can be observed. As we've said time and again, the kingdom is coming in non-obvious ways. It's uh, the metaphor of a seed that's growing that will one day be like one of these redwood trees, but it's in seed form. Uh, The seed's coming through humble service. Um, This kingdom is coming uh, through the suffering of the king. It's not the way that they expected. And so he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's right here, and you're missing it. I'm the king, and you're missing it. We've seen this time and time again. And and, and what does that ministry look like? If you look in verse 25, Jesus reminds us, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. They're helping to fulfill Jesus' words right now. They are the generation uh, of rejecting Jesus the King, who came first uh, to not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Starting next week, we're going to look at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, leading all the way by the end of that week to the cross, to the cross where he died for the sins of his people. So that anyone who has faith in this Jesus can say, That's my King, that's my Savior. He went to the cross not to die for sin as a concept, but to die for my sins, which deserve death, and he took that death on the cross. I hope, friend, that Jesus is your king, and you've heard me say this many times. We've been in the Gospel of Luke for a long time. You have had many chances to see this king, and I have to entreat you once again this morning, don't reject him like so many who saw him. Would you make him your king? The kingdom is in the midst of you. It was in the midst then. It's in the midst of you now. Would you bow a knee to this king, Jesus? Because he came humbly, and we celebrate that, but it's not the end of the story. The kingdom was and is here in an unseen way, but that's not always how it's going to be. Number two, the king is coming. The king is coming, and he's coming in a way that is, obvious. Look at verses 22 through 24. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here, do not go out or follow them, for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. He, the Pharisees asked the question, but Jesus sort of pastorally turns to the, to the disciples and says, look, there's going to come a day when, when you're going to long for the coming of the Son of Man. Perhaps he's talking past first. You're going to long for the days when you had me physically right with you. Uh, but it, the context of the passage shows us he's going to say, you're going to long for the day when I come back for you. And in the Christian life, let me ask you, do, do you long for the day when Jesus comes back? Sometimes I think the younger we are, the less we long for that. Sometimes It depends, but uh, it, it seems like each year uh, of life uh, brings more uh, of the pains of this world, certainly the joys of this world too, uh, to the point where we read a verse like that and say, I, I'm longing for it. <laughs> there are some saints here this morning who are longing for <laughs> Christ to return or at least to go home to him. And Jesus says, disciples, you are going to long for this, but don't let that drive you to run out to false teachings. People who try to say, it's here, the kingdom's here, or we have this hidden knowledge, just, just come, be a part of it here. No, 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 verse 24, it is going to be obvious when the Son of Man comes back. It's going to be undeniable. It will be like lightning that flashes from one side of the sky to the other. Not, not like southern Oregon lightning, which is very pretty, but if you've been in the Midwest maybe you've seen what lightning can look like, right? A, a lightning storm. I was in a foreign country once, and um, to, to get from the sort of kitchen area to the living quarters, you had to pass over this big open field, and there was a lightning storm happening. And, uh, you know, you've probably played the game where you see the lightning and you count, and then, you know, scientifically, uh, every second is a mile of how far away the lightning is. Uh, that's confirmed. And, it's scary when the lightning flashes and, you, and you, you're not fast enough to count uh, until the sound comes. It, it seems like it's almost simultaneous. Scarier still when you're the tallest person walking across the field. Uh, so you're kind of slouching. And um, you know, there, There's something about lightning storms like that that just viscerally put the fear of God in you, especially if you're out in the elements. Uh, Jesus says, just like that, the lightning will come in such a way that everyone, enemies of Christ, lovers of Christ, everyone will know the King has come. Uh, The King has come. He will come in a way that's obvious. He will come in a way that's unexpected. If you look at verses 26 through 31, uh, you see he gives the examples of the days of Noah, uh, that Noah was told to build the ark. Uh, God, in his grace, saves Noah and his family. Uh, But the point that uh, Jesus makes here is, Up until the day uh, when the floods came, people were eating and drinking and marrying and just doing life, right? They were just living their life, and then the floods came, and and these devastating words, and they were all destroyed. And then he says, think about the days of Lot, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and God again graciously saves Lot and his family, And, and what were the people doing right up until the end, eating, drinking? Marrying, buying, selling. None of the things listed there are sinful in and of themselves, but it's the fact that these people were completely unaware. Unaware that they were sinners in the hands of an angry God, rightly wrathful against sin, and they just sort of lived their life right up to the end in denial. Like, like we've said, it's as if the tsunami sirens are going off and people just put in earplugs and just keep doing what they're going to do. That's the picture that he gives us, so that when Jesus comes, it will be painfully unexpected. We don't know the day or the hour. One commentator uh, helps us remember what it was like on uh, September 11, 2001. Who can? I mean, who can remember? what you were doing when you started hearing news about the towers in New York, right? There's something about events like that that it it just sears into our memory. Uh, That day was no longer a normal day, but we were probably riding to school or getting ready for work, doing those sorts of things. Well, here's what this commentator says. On 9-11, when terrorists destroyed the World Trade Center in New York, it was just an ordinary September morning, with people doing all the things that people usually do, dropping off their children at school, riding the subway to work, carrying their coffee up the elevator, checking their email, getting ready for business meetings. None of them knew what terror was about to strike or that many of them were about to lose their lives. We have these moments in history that sort of give a small picture of what it'll be like one day when Christ comes in an unexpected and sudden, sudden way. And that's really the point that Jesus is making in the rest of these verses, right? That in, in the days of Noah, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's going to come in such a sudden way, in such a sudden way. He, he gives verse 32, uh, which, uh, which is one of the shortest verses in Scripture, but striking, remember Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot's wife? right? Lot and his family are saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. They're instructed, don't even look back. And she looks back. And we don't know uh, exactly what the heart uh, behind that, but God is just. And so we know that there was sin involved. And, and here, I think we get a hint um, because Jesus says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I think in some sense, Lot's wife looked back longingly, looked back to say, that's my home, that's my comfort. I don't want to move forward into this new life that God has for me. Now, this will come suddenly, suddenly to the point where he says, if you're on your housetop, don't go in and get your goods, just go, just flee. We think that this probably applies at least initially to uh, 70 AD when uh, Jerusalem would be sacked by the Romans. There's horrific accounts of this. And we, and we see elsewhere in the Gospels where Jesus uh, seems to know uh, as God, he knows this is coming, he's warning his people. But even 70 AD is just a small picture of the judgment that will come one day and the sudden nature of it. And we get to these interesting verses. I tell you there will be two in one bed and one will be taken and one left. There will be two women grinding together, one taken and one left. This is speaking to the, both the suddenness and also the division that happens even within families, even between co-workers. All those people that were doing, buying and selling and living and marrying, all of the normal stuff of life. There will be surprises on that last day of those who belong to christ those who don't belong to christ and of course these are interesting verses uh, for those of us to think what does the bible teach about the end times is this teaching that there'll be a day uh, when literally two people will be standing there and then sort of one taken and the other left behind as it were and it, it's interesting i i I grew up in a church that taught more so that view of the end times, and and by the way, you could be a true believer and have that view of the end times, so this is an in-house debate. Um, I was so thankful, though, in in that church as I was given opportunities as a young man to to preach at the youth group and teach. We were going through Revelation, and I was assigned the week on the rapture. And uh, I, I didn't, I had no convictions of, I didn't even know what reformed meant or any of that. But I, as I was reading and looking in Revelation, I, I went to my, my youth pastor and said, I, I just don't see it. Like, I don't, I don't see a moment when God's people are pulled out before the judgment. Uh, I see, just like, you know, in the, in, in the days of Moses, that God protects his people, but judgments come and that leads up to the time when, when he gathers up his people on that last day. And my youth pastor, who I think, was convicted that there was this, what we call a, a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, he said, okay, do your work, study it, uh, do your due diligence, and then preach God's word. And he encouraged me to go and, and to preach uh, uh, that perhaps uh, there wasn't a rapture in the same sense that we had. I was so thankful for that. Um, but I think, I think to get focused here kind of misses the point. I think here it's, this, it's the suddenness And it's also the division that's happening in these different relationships. Very similar to Luke chapter 12, uh, when Jesus says, in verse 49, he says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. And he goes on to list these different relationships where painful divisions are made, uh, where one day, whatever else happens in history, one day there will be a division uh, between those who love Christ and those who have rejected him. And so I need to ask you again, is he your king? Do you anticipate, do you eagerly long for the day when Christ comes back? Or is that a frightful thing for you? Would you make him your king uh, if he is not already? Because when he does come, it will be too late. I think that's Jesus' point. Uh, Jesus now is preaching to the Pharisees, to us, and he's saying the kingdom is here in your midst. Do not miss it. And think of all the opportunities that Jesus is giving. And then through the apostles in the book of Acts, uh, through now what we call we're in, this, we're in this age of grace where the gospel is going out to the nations, where the doors are wide open. The call of the gospel goes out to everyone. And he's saying, do not miss it. Yes, the kingdom now is unseen in many ways. Uh, it, it comes through suffering of the church. The sufferings of Christ. But one day it's going to be different. It's going to be obvious. And everyone will see. But by then it's too late. It's too late. If if you are one who rejects Christ, when the king comes back, it's too late. Have you ever had that nightmare where, it's one of those classic nightmares where, uh, in the dream you are uh, all of a sudden up getting ready to give a speech or something like that in a school or work, and you realize you've done no preparation for it. <laughs> but it's time. You know, the, the buzzer goes and it's time. And, and, and the dream is terrifying because there's, there's just nothing you can do. It's, it's too late. You can't finagle your way out of it, and so will it be when the king comes back. And so would you put your faith in him now? Or if you're a Christian, would you be reminded that his kingdom is in the midst of us. It's to be served. The kingdom is here. The king is coming. And so therefore, number three, no turning back. We've looked, number one, at the now. The kingdom is here now. We've looked, number two, the king is coming, the not yet. And now we ask, now what? Christian, would you seek his kingdom now? If, If his kingdom is here now, would you seek his kingdom now? Uh, Jesus is king now, and, and, and what does that mean? Uh, we've been looking at his second coming uh, and how powerful he will come, but he is powerfully at work now in our midst. Uh, he is on the throne in a powerful way. Uh, if you asked our catechism, what does it mean that he's a king now? Our catechism would summarize and say, what is Jesus doing now? He is subduing his people to himself in heart and mind. He is ruling and defending his church. And he is restraining and conquering all of his enemies and our enemies. He's doing that now. And that's all leading up to the last day. So would you take heart? Would you take heart? We're, we're in a season where it's so easy to just fret over evildoers and fret over evildoers and fret over the prominence that we no longer have, forgetting that he's king Now. He weathers us through seasons where the church is trampled upon and seasons where the church has more of a platform to speak. And it's often in the first kind of season, this kind of season, where gospel seeds are planted. He's king now. Submit to his kingdom. Seek his kingdom alone Remember Jesus' warning. If, if you go back through this passage, it just circle all the imperatives, all of the times when Jesus is saying, and, and one of them, he says, don't go out and follow them. Uh, you're desperate to see the kingdom come, and you pray for it to come, but, but don't go out into the wilderness. The pattern at this time, and still now, uh, is uh, false teachers come, and they sort of go out into the wilderness, and they call disciples after them. And say, you know, I've I found it. I've found this secret knowledge. If you'll just come out to me. We're, we're no stranger to this dynamic here in the Northwest, here in Southern Oregon, here in Oregon. How many cults have risen up and, and led people astray? But Jesus says, in your desperation, don't go out. Don't listen to them. Remember, it's going to be obvious when I come back. Don't put your trust in princes Or political powers, as if somehow the kingdom will be ushered in, as if I'm the king who's waiting for a certain policy and then I'll show up. No. Trust in this king and his work now, trust in his kingdom alone. And lastly, stay awake. Remember Lot's wife. Don't look back, don't turn back. In light of all of this, remember that it's not about fulfillment, but expendability, as one author puts it. Edmund Clowney says this, From the twelve apostles to the missionaries of our generation, the history of the Christian church is a history of wasted lives. The Christian may tabulate all the assets of his personality and take inventory of his preferences, but he casts all of these at the feet of Christ, He is not seeking fulfillment, but expendability. He counts not his life dear to himself, for he holds it in trust for Christ. His goal is beyond the grave. The crown of his high calling is in the hand of his risen Lord. What's the Christian life but to come to your king and to say, Lord Jesus, would you use me? Would you spend me for your kingdom? Would you use my talents and my time and my heart and my energy and my desires and every nanosecond of my life for your kingdom and for your glory? Would you make that your prayer, church? Let's pray it now. Oh, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, that it at once encourages us, wakes us up reminds us that our King is here and our King is coming. I pray that you would comfort your people with that truth, and that even this week we would see your kingdom come and your will be done first in our hearts and then in our church and then in this valley and across your world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.